Hey everyone, uh, welcome back. Thank you for coming back. Everybody online, hope you're still with us actually. You're in the last leg. We're literally at 3.30 and you've just had afternoon tea. So this is entertainment hour. Um, we're gonna try and keep this really engaging so that you don't fall asleep so that you can stay true to form for the last two talks after us. We're gonna to talk to you about, I guess, reimagining leadership teams. Um, we've taken a pretty different approach at Pretzel Lab. Um, and I'm super keen to get your thoughts, so come and find me for a chat afterwards. Uh, so I'm Jane, um, I head up Pretzel Lab. Um, a little bit about me, I'm not actually a designer, I don't come from a design background. Um, probably like most people, I really like solving complex problems. The thing about solving complex problems, the bigger the problem, the more people you need. It turns out you need lots of teams, people involved in that. So I spent a long time looking at how to create high-performing teams. Um, who can tell me what the most annoying thing about high-performing teams is? People. people. <laughs> so we learn a lot about people. I took a minor detour on leadership development because it turns out people need leading and people like leading and so this became a thing um, and I got asked to uh, run the team at Pretzel Lab. And hey everyone, I'm Aaron. I am from a design background. Um, Probably one that I would consider um, the classic uh, background. I fell in love with uh, design at a young age. I designed GeoCity websites in my spare time, created fake album covers, and um, just realized one day I could get paid to do that. Um, so then I just took as many turns as I could, all the opportunities that came to me. Um, and I guess along the way, I stumbled into pseudo leadership or um, I had leadership accountabilities and I guess I wasn't really sure um, what to do with them. Um, so yeah, I, I told Jane, hey, we need to talk about some of the stuff we're doing um, at Pretzel Lab because for me, um, the journey, my journey over the last few years um, has been one that I wish I had earlier in my career and certainly something that I am pretty passionate about um, seeing newer other designers have in their um, career. At this point, you may be wondering, what is Pretzel Lab? Who are they? You may be wondering, what has design got to do with pretzels? Do we make pretzels? Um, are they going to give us pretzels? Did you bring the pretzels? <laughs> oh my god, disappointment. <laughs> um, and I, when, I, when I wrote this last piece, I didn't realise we're straight after um, afternoon tea, so I guess you're not that hungry, but maybe I didn't see any pretzels out there. Maybe you are thinking about pretzels. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any pretzels on us, but um, to, to kind of explain where, where the name comes from, uh, another Venn diagram for the day. We started with the classic one, and we thought, hey, kind of looks like a pretzel if you turn it upside down. Um, and then so we squished it around, added some um, arrows in it, and voila, Pretzel Lab. Um, but seriously, take a step back. We are part of Mantle Group, which means we have eight other sister brands, uh, all um, specialist in their domains. And um, we started uh, incubated in, in one of those brands. And so this story does have context. It builds context to the bigger picture. So um, this is not just a spiel. Um, <laughs> We started with a group of five people and now have um, nearly 40 designers. Um, so along the way, as Jane sort of alluded to, we've done um, some interesting things and just like the logic of squishing up the Venn diagram, we've kind of thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Let's try this. Um, 
And so that's kind of led us to today. Um, Nathan, was it you making jokes about uh, the big four? So uh, a bunch of my old bosses, two of them ex-McKinsey, two of them ex-BCG. Um, quite a few of them work at places like Deloitte. And uh, one day they came to me while I was acting head of design by accident and said, you know what we really need to do? Um, we really need to build a leadership program that allows people to learn how to be leaders before they become effectively partners. Um, because all of them got trained as partners on how to, how to be leaders. And um, all four of them said, too fucking late, I should have probably said that at the beginning. <laughs> I am an F-bomb dropper, so if you are going to get offended, just pre-warning. Um, just letting you know. So they asked me, and so this is actually my second time in looking at how to create leadership programs for people before they become leaders. Um, because it turns out my job is not to lead a team, my job is to build a team of leaders. So that's pretty much where this came up. Um, I'm not going to read these out, but how many, uh, my guess is that most of you have had similar kinds of observations when it comes to design and design leadership. And to be honest, a lot of these are not limited to design, for sure. Um, but I think that a, a lot of people really underestimate what it takes to be a design leader. Again, I'm going I'm to thank Nathan, actually. There's quite a lot of your content that I'll be using um, <laughs> as part of it. Like, before you became a design leader, who knew how to sell design? Hmm. At what point did you learn how to sell design? I run a design and product business and I'm not really sure I know how to do it still. <laughs> so there's a lot of things in the, in the runway to being a leader that I think we make a lot of assumptions for. And quite frankly, I had a lot of designers coming to me over the last 20 years saying, I demand and deserve a seat at this table. And when they get at the table, they have no fucking idea what they're doing there. <laughs> right? Not because they're stupid, but they've never seen a P&L before. They don't know how to prioritise business priorities because they're not really part of those conversations normally. So the entire kind of observation of my last 20 years kind of culminated into these two programs. So uh, somebody asked me earlier, what was the actual inspiration for change? Um, everybody loves Camelot. It's real. I don't really know what you think, why you think it wouldn't be real. But the thing that really I love about it is this notion that you could have an equal voice somewhere and actually have it be real. That was probably the foundation that I took into when we created this company. Mantle Group, uh, at Mantle Group, we, we, uh, we get everybody to read these two books. I strongly recommend them. With the slight warning that Team of Teams is very war-based because it is written by General Stanley McChrystal. Um, when she says a little, it's a lot. <laughs> like, um, my team are not very happy about it. Um, but they both go through this um, notion about how to create a team structure that is non-hierarchical but not flat, if that makes sense. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the last thing I think that was great inspiration, so this is Pretzel Lab and also Mentor Group's um, business scorecard. This is our balanced business scorecard. You read it from left to right. So the most important thing that I think is for people who are coming into the leader role for us is to note that actually culture and principles is more important than diversified revenue streams. But if you don't think about the things on the left, the things on the right don't take care of themselves. But if you don't think about the things on the right, you don't make any money. Sad times. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
so, so what have we learned? Um, when we thought about uh, some of the lessons learned, um, Jane said, well, Aaron, since you are the designer, it wouldn't it be way more interesting to hear um, from you? So um, I had a, a lot of um, reflection on it all and, and given this year's themes, um, I summarised them into to three, three themes. First one is resilience. Um, and for me, resilience is all about showing up. And I'm so grateful for Caroline's speech, and I, I love that talk about feelings, um, because um, I talk about heartache here, and I'll continue to talk about it a, a fair bit, but I'm sure everyone in the room has walked into Monday morning feeling like the, the cheer squad in the top photo, and by Friday, <laughs> you're the poor girl getting carried out um, on the stretcher. But um, the thing about showing up is, is how she's still cheer, um, cheering for her, for her squad. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to share is that I have some stuff on here, but I'm going to talk about some stories. Um, it goes against everything I've listened to in the last few days about podcast. Uh, last listened uh, to in the last few days about um, speaking, um, but it's something that I know I um, do better in. I, I'm better when I tell my stories and they're, they're about me and we'll get to communication um, in a minute, but I have some stories about, um, you know, having times where I thought I'd definitely explained something really well. We're all on the same page, um, where we're on the bus together and the next day I come in and it's completely gone in the other direction. Um, talking about working from home and working in the office, we were at a point in time where we were kind of transitioning back in. And um, so there was a bit of dis disconnection uh, working from home. So I thought, let's get back in the office, let's just talk about this and we'll be around each other, calibrate. I get into the office, one person's on one side of the room and one person on the other side of the room. So, Frustrated. I was heartbroken. I had put so much time and effort into thinking about how to fix some of the problems and they just weren't getting fixed. I might just add that Aaron forgot to say that those two people work on the same project. Good point. Very good with, point. With a problem. <laughs> Significant <laughs> problem. <laughs> um, to add to that, um, as a consultant at Pretzel Lab, it, it means that I'm uh, billable four out of five days a week. So. Um, you know, when my team needs my time, I make it for them, but that time needs to be made up elsewhere. Um, and so what does that do? It just makes me feel more upset, more heartbreak that, you know, I've put in the time, like I've sort of listed there, the effort that I expected, the, the, the expectations or the effort that I put in would be the results that, that come out the end and it just isn't. Um, so showing up for me is like in those moments, um, it's not just about showing up, um, although, you know, consistency is so important to be there. Um, but in those moments, how you show up is so important. Um, and for me, I learned um, through some really uh, good lessons from Jane as well, um, that it's, um, it's about showing up and trying more and being better every time. He's being very kind. I totally fucked it in the first year, basically. <laughs> I showed up when I shouldn't have. I was very upset several times. I didn't help my team at all. Uh, I thought they would trust me enough to give me the leverage I needed to kind of grow into that leadership space, and they did not. And I did it more than once. 
Um, and I'm grateful to Aaron for giving me that time, to be honest, but he continued to show up for me and I continue to show up for him. And I think that that, that taught me a lot in that first year. Um, but I'll be really honest and say that people didn't show up after that. You know, we had a couple of people leave as a result of that and that was, that was heartbreaking. Second lesson is, <laughs> is about hair. No, it's about communication um, and effectiveness of communication. I've definitely felt over the last year, I've been in both those situations, um, addressing the team and walking away feeling like Blake Lively and also addressing the team and feeling like Donald Trump. Um, so I thought about why that is. Um, and this, is one, this one's been hard. Um, for me, myself, and, and our Pretzel Lab leadership team, um, it's something we're definitely better at, but absolutely something that we still um, work on. Um, we received some feedback just last week um, after, what is it, nearly a year and a half of, of doing what we've been doing, that our business plan, the business plan that we, the leadership team, created and communicated just didn't make sense, and they don't know how it relates to them. Um, and again, heartbreak. I was super, super frustrated at that. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess like initially that, that heartbreak was there. I was deeply frustrated that all our efforts, um, you know, communicating that, whether it was in a large audience, smaller groups, set up sessions for people to come in, they, they just didn't land. Um, I guess what I've learnt about that is that um, we really have to put um, effort in to uh, craft our messages um, so that we're just as effective communicating up, across and, and down to the team. Because I think definitely my, yeah, one of, one of my biggest um, expectations was like, we did the work, so we could just talk about the work. And it's so different being in a room where we're coming up with things and prioritising and then presenting them in bubbles and squares to a team and making it sound really clear um, and providing them with the confidence um, that they need. So I assume that some of you, or most of you might have seen this, this picture. Um, it's been on, I think, LinkedIn um, pretty recently. Um, so one of the things that we've done differently, and I guess um, we talk about quite often, so we talk about a flat hierarchy um, and I know a lot of people do that, but what's important to me about understanding the difference between a flat hierarchy and a normal hierarchy is it's not about structure, because a hierarchy has structure regardless of whether it's flat or not. Um, what the difference is that in a normal hierarchy you have single access point to the decision maker as opposed to a flat hierarchy where you have multiple access points to multiple decision makers. So that's the diagram on the right. However, <laughs> what that doesn't tell you is how to communicate to all those fucking people. <laughs> so, what this diagram demonstrates is two things, but one of them is actually demonstrated quite poorly. The first thing it demonstrates here on the left is the number of communication nodes you need in a team. So for every person that you add to your team is an added communication node, and that increases exponentially with every person that you add. So that makes a lot of sense as you go left to right. What it doesn't show you is the strength or trust in the communication. So the picture on the right over there assumes that you have an equal level of trust and, 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 and strength in that communication as you do in the one on the left. 
That's actually just not true. So when I said to Aaron the other day when he was super pissed about the fact that people didn't understand the plan, I was like, you have mastered one-to-one -one comms, but you have not mastered many one-to-many comms. And he was just like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not mastering this either. So one of the things that um, we've taken into consideration as part of um, our overall kind of reimagining things is how do we help people get more effective at this, right? Because actually, it's really hard. And as a design leader or as any leader, do you need to master one-to-many all of the time or is it a progressive thing and how do you master a one-to-few, right? And how do you work on the strength of your relationship in the few so that they can also be a communication node and an access point to everybody else? Does that make sense? So, it was not easy, just before you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and my last um, lesson um, theme is persistence. Um, so this is all about um, no longer being um, an individual sport. We've heard that today. Um, and yeah, look, if I reflect on my last few years, one of the, I guess, the most single most um, impactful lesson for me um, is that it actually isn't about me. Um, and yeah, there was a time where I didn't feel like a leader in, in the business unless I was leading a piece of work. Um, and so my expectation going into this exercise or experiment was that, hey, I can squat like Ronnie Coleman, um, should be able to lead a team like Ronnie Coleman could, and turns out it's it's a little bit different. Um, so I look at my role and my um, yeah, I look at my role very differently today. Uh, which yeah, look, it was a, it was a, it was a very grounding um, lesson to me, and I think. Um, when you look at the leadership team, we also thought, hey, there's five or six of us who are also good over there, um, whether it's mentoring or leading a project or doing the thing. Um, turns out it doesn't, doesn't matter. It, that, that doesn't make the team um, good over, over here. Um, yeah, I guess something we were chatting about the other day, um, which really like, like sunk in about that is the um, complaining out loud versus, versus complaining. And um, for those, it didn't make sense to me straight away, so I'll try and explain it and if I screw it up, just, just <laughs> jump in. But um, I was definitely complaining out loud um, when I heard some of that feedback around the business plan. Um, frustration, heartache, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, I was very um, grounded in the fact I wasn't pissed off because of me. I was really angry and upset um, because of my team, because I know the leadership team worked their asses off for that. Um, we just we didn't figure out why we couldn't get through um, just yet. And so the biggest difference kind of Jane was talking about is you can complain all you like, but come tomorrow, you better get together with the team um, and figure out how to fix that. And um, if I take something away from that, it's, it just embeds this, this persistence idea about, yeah, you can be frustrated, you can have the feelings, um, but it's not about you, it's about the team, um, and you've just got to keep, you got to keep going. So, very amazingly named approach that we took is called non-persistent leadership teams. We've touched on a bunch of theories and ideas and now we're gonna mash them together into a giant experiment for my team and my entire business, to be quite frank. 
um, about how we go about leadership in a completely different way and how this creates a runway for leaders emerging. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I think, um, I guess I thought about was like, actually, and if you, if, you, if you took a picture of that business plan, which is the left to right seven pillars, the thing about it is, and one of the things that we have at Mantle Group is this notion that there are no passengers. You must be accountable for something. Accountable is not gun to your head kind of accountable. It is like you are going to own its success, its learnings and its failures, and you're going to do something about it. That's what accountable means. So for us, it's like, okay, can we find people who are willing to be accountable, which is not the same as want to be accountable. <laughs> um, we do this thing called bottom-up planning. I think a lot of people do bottom-up planning, but um, I really don't come up with the plan. My job is to provide guidance and context for information purposes so that the team can actually make decisions, well-informed decisions. Unless I think something's like going really divergent from what our actual mission is, the team have come up with the plan. They've also come up with the metrics. It turns out you don't learn how to define metrics as a non-leader person either. So our first-year metrics are pretty shit, but it doesn't matter. It's not really the point. They've had their crack. Um, and they've done a really good job of collaborating with it. So here we are with some kind of basic uh, principles. You've got to be accountable for something. You've got you to skin in the game in it. And you've got to come up with it. You can't just sit back and be like, oh, I didn't come up with that. That was you. Right? Like, that's not how this team works. All right. Then I made it really unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> So we talked about this kind of notion of the round table. And the round table is really about equal voice, different size accountability. That's what it means across my entire team. And specifically, that's what it means in the leadership team. So in the leadership team, I asked two people who had been with me from the beginning to join the leadership team as part of an experiment to say, what the fuck are we doing? And how do we make this thing work? Basically, that was Tom and Aaron. Um, then I asked Tegan to join as someone who was a non-principle-based designer. She's a senior designer. She's also been with me from the beginning and she brings the voice of the people. She is our cultural anchor. She represents the people better than I do. Uh, then we had a new starter, well, six months into probation, that was Yvonne. So Yvonne, she brings the voice of the new people. What is it like to join our team when you're new? What are the things that we make assumptions about Aaron and Tom that Yvonne wouldn't make assumptions about? She doesn't know about it. And then this person, lovely person down the middle, down the bottom here, this is Mimi. Mimi is an associate, or was an associate at the time when I asked him to join. This is a rotating seat. Every quarter we rotate a new associate into the room. Why? They are our external observer. They keep us honest. If they have no fucking idea what we're doing, we probably have no fucking idea what we're doing. Um, and honestly, they've asked us, we've had three associates sit in the, in the table at the moment, and they literally are like, Huh, you guys don't know what you're doing. It's like, yeah, no, not at all. And, and part of it is to normalize that, right? Like, part of it is for them to see that we actually are not, I'm not the grand poobah making all of these decisions and then just forcing them down. Half the time, I'm not even in the conversations, I'm waiting for the team to do it. And then, of course, we've got um, another person up there, which is our product person, and that person is to represent the non design part of the business, basically. So we have a really diverse representation of the team. Most of us not really knowing what the fuck we were going to do when we got together. <laughs> so what happened? Well, um, COVID hit and that was unexpected, to be honest. Um, not in a way that we were like, oh, like, oh, really? We didn't think a pandemic was coming. It was more like, fuck, 
now what? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Um, but it meant from a leadership perspective, we all had to lean into something that wasn't just about numbers anymore. We were like, this is about the people and do people understand what we're doing and do we have arms around them and what does that mean and what the fuck is this whole non-persistent leadership? Can somebody come up with a better name was a lot of the challenge, to be honest. Um, so as I described that, it might sound really convoluted to you, but the idea is that the non-persistent leadership group members, except for the associate, had signed up for a 18-month commitment. We gave them a six-month runway leading up to FY23, just so they could warm up and figure out what the effort business plan was. And then they, so they basically signed up for 12 months. So the reality of that was that then somebody was like, oh, the borders have opened. I'm going to go travel for six months. Thanks. <laughs> so we rotated somebody else in. So, and then someone's like, oh, I forgot to tell you, by the way, I've got a new job in a different team. <laughs> so that person rotated out and then we rotated two associates in. So we've had more rotations than I'd actually managed to expect. And it's created churn in the team. Because the thing about, remember that like I spend a lot of time talking about high-performing teams, what is one of the things about high-performing teams that you need to be able to create to get high-performance? Consistency and reliability in team members because you have to build trust. So you have a consistent churn, you don't get that. You don't get a high-performing team, you get a bunch of people constantly restarting from the beginning. So Aaron aptly pointed out, I have this massive ambition that over the next five years my team will rotate in, we'll have a team for FY23, we'll have a team for FY24, everybody will learn from everybody else. But he said the other day, are you sure you're just not going to be stuck in step one the whole time? And I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> and I might be, so in five years time come and ask me. <laughs> Is this no, me or you? That's you. <laughs> so, um, so I think one of the things that we also think about as individuals, again, I'm assuming that most people kind of have seen this before, it's a really good model, right? Because I think a lot of people come into this thinking that they can do squats like a pro, right? And that's great. You've got conscious competence. Joining an elite squad of people to do whatever it is that you're about to do, which sounds like you're probably going to do relay running, is probably like unconscious incompetence because squats is nothing like relay running and if you're really good at squats you're probably shit at relay running. But it is a team sport, you've got to learn how to rely on other people. So as a team, I think we've moved from unconscious incompetence, which was the beginning of COVID, into conscious incompetence. We're definitely much more aware of the shit we don't really understand anymore and we've got a plan to address them. Um, I don't know where the individuals sit, but they're certainly getting better. I don't know, Aaron's going to hopefully wrap that into a place where it's moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess just to, to kind of summarise it, um, how has it helped my leadership journey? Um, if I think about, you know, three years ago, four years ago, I looked at my CV or my resume and I thought, well, okay, this is moving in the right direction based on everyone else's LinkedIn profile I see and you know, in another two, three, four years, um, I should be a manager or I should be a head of design or, and then I'll be like Nathan one day, I'll be a partner and it sounds like a really good job, it sounds like fun. Um, but I don't, didn't know what those steps look like. I didn't know um, what I was going to do when I got there. Um, I think the last three years has taught me, um, or has given me an opportunity to go, do I still want to do, be a manager, still want to be head of design? 
well, yeah, that's, that's true, but is it two or three years? Is it five years? Doesn't, I don't think it matters, but I think I'm just a lot more, um, I guess, confident in the fact that I've seen some of the things that I'm going to have to deal with and I'm going to have some of those tools ready to go. Um, so my question to, to you guys, all of you design leaders, um, is what can you do um, tomorrow and what can you do next week um, to start helping your designers um, get ahead of the game, get them exposed to some things that they're going to have to deal with when, when they become a leader?